Today we're continuing on this idea of our journey uh, really becoming ready, moving into the readiness of God and, and really how God has demonstrated. It really is moving into the full measure of the gospel. Last week we, we looked at 2 Peter uh, chapter 1 and, and really got a clear understanding that Peter uh, demonstrated kind of how this works, our growth, and, and that it kind of starts, the reality is, um, supernaturally, God has empowered us with that base of faith and the promises of growth that, that we actually can be the way Jesus is. The scripture says it like this, he's given us everything we need a foundation of faith. He's given us these great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you, me, to share in his divine nature. That's, that's really the challenge it's calling us is that our growth, our development, to move into the gospel, to move into the power of the gospel that truly changes people. I mean, the reality is we don't... It wanted to go there. Uh, the reality is the gospel has to have a power, a, a transforming power in the people that it, that it engages, the people that it is in. It has to have that power. And to surrender it to something less is to move back from what the gospel is and what it does and who you and I are. This uh, last song we did, No Longer a Slave, I think is the name of it, you know, I think it's one of the best sermons I've ever heard in my life. It just really encapsulates, I am not a slave anymore, and who I am, and what God did to make that true. So we have this foundation, these great and precious promises, and it goes on to say there's this flip side of those promises changing you, transforming you, bringing revelation to you, changing who you are, not just your habits, not just your behavior, but something deeper than that is being changed. So that when you make a move on behalf of God, when you make a move on behalf of another, it's actually your thoughts and attitudes were already there. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's not about wrenching yourself. And, and uh, years ago, somebody here said, you know, Bill, I, I couldn't live your life. And at that time, I, I had a borrowed vehicle, and I, I lived in somebody else's back bedroom, and I made very little money. Uh, you know, I, I had a, what some would consider a very modest life. And this person said, I, I, I couldn't live your life. You have given up so much. I'm, we're driving down the road, and I thought about that. I thought, wow, what do I look like to people? I, I didn't feel like I was really giving up anything. I wasn't giving up any more than anybody else was. I was just kind of living the life I had to live, but I felt no sacrifice in my lifestyle. Do you realize that we can operate with God no matter what our circumstances are in a reality, a newness of life where we're never a victim? Where we're never, ever a victim. Amen. No one can make you a victim anymore. Because when Jesus sets us free, we're free indeed. We're free. And so the, the, the backside of that is we escape the world's corruption caused by desire. 
We, we escape the corruption. We get past it, that desire, the desire to have more, the desire to get back at someone, the desire to get even, the desire for justice in your life or for those you love. You see, all that is corrupting. And, and for us, you see, we are operating in a new place. It says that his part is he extended that relationship to us through faith. He's working in us. And that faith is only a foundation. The gospel has to begin to work in you. We can't say I accepted Christ in camp when I was nine. I've gone to church you know, every Christmas and every Easter since then. I believe in Jesus. I know he's my Lord and Savior. I know he died for my sins. But if there is no transformation, then your faith has not done anything in you and through you. God is still at work bringing you to that place. Second Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, in view of all this, in view of this amazing reality that we have for our life, it really smacks of this song, No Longer a Slave. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises to supplement your faith with generous provision of moral excellence. Moral excellence with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with patience, uh, patient endurance, patient endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love for everyone. Now, this sounds like a shopping list, and so this next slide, you'll kind of see it. There's this foundation of, of, of faith, and then Peter is saying, not only adding these things to our faith, but we're adding them to one another. They're kind of connecting and empowering one another. You see, when I'm operating in my moral excellence, it really is affecting my self-control, isn't it? When I'm operating in my self-control, it's affecting my moral excellence. When I'm operating in godliness, one of the youth said, can we be godly and still fall on all the rest of them? Not really, huh? These are really connected. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. This is not, okay, I need to go work on these things right here. This is really revealing the nature of God. The nature of what? Who he is on the inside. How he relates to people. How he relates So we have to respond to that. And, and the language to operate and practice in those promises, and that is what makes us different. And I kind of present it like this. If they are present, it's what the scripture says. If they are present, if these are present and they're growing, then you will bear the fruit of God. If they're present, if they're growing then you will produce the very nature of God in and around you. I want us to start there because if the kingdom of God is anything, the kingdom of God is about power. The kingdom of God is about power. It's about power to change normal. It's about power to overcome. It's about power to change. 
It's about power of redemption. It is all about power. Now, when we look at moral excellence and self-control, when we look at brotherly kindness and we look at love, it may not sound like power, but are those powerful? Are those indeed powerful? That's the stuff that moves the world. So we're going to pick up in chapter 6 of Mark. And we're going to take on the, the, whole, um, the whole chapter. So we're going to do it in, uh, we're going to jump around just a little bit so we can swallow it all in a shorter amount of time. But picking up just uh, at the second part of chapter uh, 6, verse 6, it says, Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. Now remember, this is the same guy being characterized in 2 Peter. Went teaching, uh, from village to village teaching the people. All right? So he was doing that, and then it says he called his disciples. That was pretty good, wasn't it? He called his disciples. covered up my page. Okay. He called his disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority. It should be to cast, <laughs> to cast out evil spirits, not to cats out evil spirits. <laughs> For those of you who have issues with cats, you can line up any way you choose. Um, but the text, I am sure, uses the word cast. All right. So, so you see, Jesus is doing this. Now he's sending them out in pairs to do really the same thing. So he's sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. That's where the text stops. And then he gives them this other language. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out two by two. You're going to take the message. I'm going to give you the power and the authority to do what I do. Think about it. Look around the room. You get to pick your partner. You're going out to cast out evil spirits, heal the sick, raise the dead. Now, for you, you might look around and go, I'm going to choose carefully here, and I want to choose first. But maybe Jesus didn't let them pick. Maybe he said, all right, you two, you two, you two. Oh, no. I'm, I'm with a weak person, and you put me with a weak person. I'm a weak person. We're going to be weak out there. We're weak. Oh, we're weak. People are going to come back with stories. We got nothing when we come back. I don't want to go with it. I feel sick. It's not my, it's not my gift. It's not my gift. My gift is, is hospitality. Let me wash some feet. Let me do something different. I'm, I'm a roadie. Let me carry the instruments. But Jesus sent them out two by two. All right. He gives them this authority. says, all right, here's the deal. I don't want you to take anything but a walking stick. I don't want you to take a clothes bag. I don't want you to take food. I don't want you to take traveler's checks. I don't want you to take your debit card. I want you to leave all that stuff behind. Wow. What is this all about? 
It's bad enough. We got to go out in strange places with strange people and talk, which I'm not very good at, cast out demons, which I have never probably done on my own. Now I'm, I'm, I'm hooked up with, you know, Ron Schwartz over here. I don't think he's ever done that. And now he's saying, on top of that, you're going to travel really light. What do you think Jesus is sharing? What do you think he's doing? You see, you're going to have to trust the one who sent you for everything. In the U.S., we fool ourselves all the time that we have control. I have control over my bills. I have control over my debt. I have control over my income. When really God says, I control everything, you have very little control, and you're welcome that you're doing okay. But in this training mission, Jesus sends them very lean. He sends them out. Take nothing on this journey but this stick. And then the apostles returned to Jesus, telling him all they had done. Wow, you got you to gotta agree. They probably came back a little different. I mean, you come back with a lot of success stories under your belt. Wow, it was awesome out there. We're ready to go back again. We want to put some more teams together. I mean, in about, you know, if we do it like the Amway method, we can have the whole world saved in like, I don't know, 36 days. Does anybody ever think like that? I am guilty, all right? In my arrogance and my naivete, I calculated how long it would take to save Mexico based on a two-week trip there. I don't think I was saved when I did that. Or I was just in training, and I just said something really stupid. I thought it. I didn't say it to anybody, but I thought it. Um, we're going to read. So I'm going to have Tori read something in just a minute. But I want to set this up. When they come back, I mean, immediately when they come back, they're sharing their stories. It's exciting. And Jesus says, hey, let's get away alone. Let's get a little bit of downtime. So they get in a boat, and they're cruising along trying to kind of get some downtime. But the crowd recognizes them, and they're now tracking the boat, running on shore. And they get ahead of the boats. I mean, the crowd is pretty determined here, aren't they? I mean, they're hoofing it, you know, following the boat. And, and they get ahead of the boat. I, I would love to see us get ahead of the boat sometime. You know, I'd love for Jesus to look at it. What are those guys doing, you know? They're chasing us now. They're ahead of us. And so as they're, as they're getting up to this spot, finally they land, and all the people are there ready. So, what is this equal? No downtime. If you've ever done ministry, like on the road, this is the nature of the beast. When you feel like, okay, we're done. You know, I need some downtime. And that's when Carlos steps in and goes, oh, there's these other people. And my eyes cross, and I, ugh. But it turns out awesome, and I'm glad he always does that to me. So, in Mark 6, starting with verse, 30, uh, verse 35, 
The crowd follows Jesus. The disciples tell Jesus because there's like 5,000 people. It's a remote place. It's getting late. And so the disciples come and say, Jesus, you got you to send them away to get something to eat. And so here we go. Here we go. Jesus does what he does so often. He has this response that throws everything off, you know? Right when you think you can groove with Jesus, then he just throws this wrench out there. You feed him. How bizarre could that statement have been? Kind of like, (coughs) they're looking at one another. What does he mean? I think it's spiritual. It didn't sound spiritual. What do we do? We can't feed 5,000 people. Well, then you talk to him. I don't want to tell him. I'm not going to tell him. You tell him. All right, let's flip. Whoever loses has to tell him we can't do that. So Jesus responds to their challenge, their question. When they say, with what? Jesus' answer is, what do you have? What do you have? If you listen, you will hear that from Jesus all the time. When you say, I'm stuck. I can't can't go forward here, Jesus. Really? Why is that? Well, I can't this. I don't have that. I don't. I can't. I don't. I can't. We won't. What do you have? You see, what he's saying is, what will you put in my control? What will you surrender to me? What do you have? We were going on a ski trip, uh, my youth from the Houston Vineyard, and, uh, and one of my youth came to me, and he said, you know, I, I can't really go. Uh, I said, why is that? He said, well, I can't afford it. I said, okay. Uh, and I forget how much the trip was. It wasn't very expensive, but he didn't have the money. And so I said, well, all right, what do you have? He said, well, I, I don't have it. I said, what do you have? He said, I, I really don't have any money. I said, you have zero money. You have zero. You have zero money. Open your pop. Pull everything out of your pockets. Pull your wallet out. Show me you have zero. He said, well, I got like 20 bucks. I said, okay. Why didn't you tell me that? You had 20 bucks. I said, your trip is 20 bucks. Give me my 20 bucks. So he gave me 20 bucks. And he went on the trip. Now, I probably sound like Jesus in that moment. I, I, I wasn't sounding like Jesus. I was just cutting a deal. But maybe I was sounding like Jesus. Who knows? You see, they're still in training, and they don't know it. That's what you and I can forget. Even though the bullets are real, everything is important. It's still he's training. So he takes the five loaves and he blesses them and the two fish and he blesses them and they feed everybody. Okay, 
Everybody's satisfied. The disciples are picking up all the leftovers, baskets and baskets of leftovers, okay? Now, of course, it's been a long day, not any downtime. And so at this point, we are going to have some of the text read. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Poseidon while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving him, he went up on a mountainside to pray. All right, so Jesus said, I'm going to stay behind, dismiss all the 5,000 people. You guys get in the boat and go ahead to Bethsaida. But does he follow behind? No, he goes up the mountain. And he's up on the mountain, and he's praying. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining on the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but, then, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Okay, you might be thinking to yourself, Ah, this is the walking on the water story. And they are walking on the water. But I want you to see, was, were they alone in the boat? Jesus was not in the boat. Was he watching them? Was he with the Father? Was he praying? Was he concerned about them? I mean, he's on the mountain praying with the Father. Where are his eyes? Watching his people. He sees they're struggling with the wind and the waves and the oars. He sees it. He cares about that. Now, they don't know that he's watching. They don't know that he is engaged on their behalf. All they know is we are tired, we are rowing, we are in a cold, stupid boat in the middle of the night. We should have never fed the 5,000 people. I'm making all that up. But it could be true. They were struggling to row the boat. So Jesus walks out to meet them. And he's walking past them. They freak out. And there are other accounts we see, you know, Peter on the water. But in the text in Mark, we just see the conclusion. Jesus gets in the boat, and the wind and the waves calm. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their heart were hardened. Do you see what it said? They were completely amazed, and they had not understood about the loaves. We thought it was about the waves. Jesus was teaching them about the loaves. Thank you, Tori. Here is a group of people that had just been on a powerful mission trip. They had cast out demons. They had healed the sick. 
They had preached the gospel. They had shared the good news about Jesus. They came back. They fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish because Jesus blessed it. But they didn't get it. Why did they not get it? It says, because their hearts were hardened. We don't have in the text specifically what they now understood. But what we know is 5,000 people were fed with five loaves of bread and two fish. What we know is they were on the water and they were afraid. What we know is they were doing these miraculous things and yet they still struggle to believe. They still struggle to trust. They still struggle to understand that when Jesus says, go to the other side, you will get to the other side. You will get there. When the Lord says you have business on the other side, it really won't matter what is between you and the other side. You will get there. The disciples were being trained. Jesus did not get in the boat. He stayed behind. And he prayed. And he watched over the disciples. And this was about training them in their perspective. This was about them being changed. The scripture uses the term a hardened heart to really describe the places where we are really unable to believe and to trust and to follow Jesus because our heart is unable to believe, to trust, and to follow. How do you come back from a giant ministry tour where all these miraculous things happen because Jesus gave you authority, and then you don't understand when Jesus says, feed the 5,000, you immediately drop back to being merely human. You see what happened? They immediately dropped back and they looked at their circumstances for what they were. We do not have what it takes to feed 5,000 people. And now we are in a tough spot because Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, has commanded us to do something and we can't do it. And we're stuck. And we're stuck because our heart is hardened. Because when I go on a ministry trip, ministry trip and I do all the things of God and I come back and I come back into the same place I was. Jesus has to keep challenging our normal. He will be relentless about challenging your normal. 
If you ever get tired of learning the same lesson over and over again, probably Jesus gets tired of giving the same lesson over and over again. Okay, Bill, we're going to take it from the top. This will be take one million. Not that I'm counting. Why don't we let encounters and moments with Jesus change us? Why don't we let the next moment be different? Because the last moment was changed by Jesus. The disciples in the boat, they were afraid. They thought it was a ghost. And Jesus is probably like, man, where are you guys coming from on all this stuff? Why? I mean, you're casting out demons. Why are you afraid of a ghost out on the water? Grow. Let today make tomorrow different. Open your heart to grow. Instead of I can't, we can't. You know, it it comes down to that when it comes to praying for the sick, for seeing God heal people. I was talking with a friend this week, and uh, he prayed for... uh, he prayed for someone who had some kind of arthritic back problem, I think it was. And he prayed for this person, and nothing uh, happened. It was not better. So he asked if I could pray for him again, and, and the person said yes, and nothing really happened. He said, can I pray again? And oh, it's funny how in that moment, all parties start to get a little bit uncomfortable. You know, the person being prayed for, oh, my gosh, are we going to do this, like, till the nighttime? Or, or, you know, I feel pressure to be healed. Uh, the person praying feels like, am I wearing out my welcome here? What is all that? That's a hardened heart. Other things are now more important than what Jesus is doing. So he asked, can I pray for you again? She said, yes. And he said, so what is your pain level, honestly? She said, it's zero. And she has never had trouble with her back again. Now this person Uh, who was praying, had also had a back issue to the point where they were very debilitated. And this person, a friend of mine, asked somebody to pray for him, and he said, you know, the Lord is not wanting me to pray for you. The Lord is going to heal you in a different way. And my friend said, you know, it really made me mad. I mean, why can't you just pray for me? But shortly after this, he goes to a retreat center 
and he's reading some stuff, and God spoke to him and healed him. And this vertebrae or whatever it was, it was so degenerated, the doctor said, we're going to have to fuse it. And now the x-rays show it is perfectly normal. And he has never had back pain. It's been like 20 years. Why can't that experience change us forever? Why do we look at that experience as, well, that's just an unexplained spiritual phenomenon. No. Why isn't your new reality just unexplainable? Why isn't my new reality just unexplainable? It's my hardened heart. My heart is afraid of rejection. My heart is afraid of failure. My heart is afraid. My heart is afraid. My heart is afraid. My heart is afraid. That's the problem. And my fear is often more powerful than my faith. It's more powerful than my, my previous experiences. It's more powerful than the promises. It's more powerful than the glory of God. It's more powerful than all those things in the moment. And my heart makes the choice to be safe and acknowledge my fear. Jesus, that's why one reason I really like this song, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Fear will change everything if you allow it to take its voice. The disciples had experienced these powerful ministry trips. They had watched and been a witness of this great miracle of meeting five, feeding 5,000. But they didn't really understand it because their hearts were hardened. <clears throat> to make the journey... You will have to have a heart for God and man. And there is no braver heart on the planet than one that follows Jesus. You will have to take risk. And you will have to operate beyond your means. Jesus is just not preparing a life for you that's within your means. He's preparing a life for you that will require you take great risk with him, that you trust him, that you get out on that limb with him, that your expectations become really motivated not out of what you can or can't do, but out of what he can do and is willing to do and wants to do.
as God changes our heart, I want you to know he can change this for you and me. He can challenge the things that control you in those moments when you're not able to share love or peace or grace with someone, where you're not able to forgive someone, where you're not able to stand in the gap for someone who is in pain and say, let me pray for you and Jesus heal you. And if we pray for someone and we don't see them healed in that moment, we feel like we have to back up. Unless that ratio is good, we back off. We get timid. We get afraid. If you would stand.